0: Welcome back to another installment of the Podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. This is Worldview Wednesday. Our host for today's episode is Nathan O'Black.
1: Welcome back to the Podcast for Cultural Reformation. I'm Nathan O'Black and I'm joined by Dr. Joe Boot. Ryan Aris, and a very special welcome uh, to the many truckers that listen to our podcast. And not, yeah. sure, if you've, <laughs> not sure if you've been following this story, but uh, if you haven't, there's a, there's a convoy presently, uh, I've heard estimates of 70 kilometers to 100 kilometers long, traveling from British Columbia all the way to Ottawa, our capital city, uh, here in Ontario. And uh, what they're doing is they're, they're protesting Vaccine mandates and and all of the regulations we've been living through over the past two years, and we're very thankful for their efforts. Uh, we've even talked about renting a truck, and you know we bought Joe his uh, Bud Light trucker's hat, and uh, we hope Take to jump into off, the. Sally. That's
2: right, <laughs> Annie. <laughs> oh, <was> Annie. Annie. <laughs> uh, I would have said Sally. That's, I mean, that's another. Uh, it's another song. That's another song. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs>
1: But we've got a lot to discuss today, and some of it related to uh, to what we're seeing here with this this convoy. But uh, before we get into today's discussion, if you if you follow us on social media, you'd already know uh, that Joe's new book, *Ruler of Kings*, uh, will be coming out shortly, and uh, we've already been taking pre-orders on on our website uh, on the Ezra Press website, EzraPress.ca. So if you go there now, uh, you can pre-order a copy. You'll get twenty percent off. And we've been getting orders already from all across Canada, the United States, uh, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and even one from from Finland. Finland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, a sh- thank you, Bjorn. <laughs> That's yeah. Th- a shout out to Bjorn <laughs> yeah. from from Rama, Finland. <laughs> He's the beginning of a real growing audience in Finland. I sense.
2: Yeah, you know, to, in on the ground floor.
1: That's right. Yeah.
2: we got to, we got most of the states covered off, don't we? Yeah, just
1: about. Uh, a bit of a poor showing from uh, you know some of the New England states. So uh, you, know, uh, you know, a gentle rebuke here. Get on uh, it, Boston.
2: <laughs>
1: Actually, um, I think Massachusetts is—they're uh, on the map. Oh, so good for
2: the good for them. Yeah. Still Connecticut.
1: No. Nothing from Connecticut. Nothing eh? from Connecticut. Huh. Yeah. So, yeah. let's get going, Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> the um, other thing we'd mentioned before our discussion. Uh, for today is is that registration is open for uh, two of our uh, residential training programs. One of them being the H. Evan Runner International Academy, and that's our program for anyone in their twenties and thirties. And this year, uh, we'll be hosting that program out in British Columbia, in Golden, British Columbia. It'll be a twelve day program uh, at the beginning of June. So application is open. You can find information on that on our website. Mm-hmm. And, uh, That's right we, in the mountains, isn't it, Nathan? That is, yeah. yeah. And if, if, you, uh, if you go to our website uh, or our social media pages, you'll, you'll see some pictures of the lodge uh, we'll be hosting the event at. And it's just beautiful. And if you've never been out to the, the Rockies uh, on, on the Alberta side, uh, it's just absolutely spectacular.
0: And there'll be some time for hiking and a bit of white water rafting and stuff like that. I gather. That's so, right. Yeah, you're yeah. going to be leading it. I hear. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be in the front of the boat. Rockies <laughs> are pretty rocky out there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's uh, Golden, British Columbia. That's not an adjective. Like that's the name of the town. That's right. right. Golden. That's okay. right. Yeah. It's uh, about
1: three hours uh, west of Calgary. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're excited to be doing the program out there. Yeah. yeah. We've had a lot of uh, churches and pastors from out west want to see some of our programming happen out their way, so we're excited to work with them and, and get this program going. So again, you can, you can apply today if you go to our website. And the other program I would mention is the Worldview Youth Academy. That's our program for teens, and uh, registration for that is open as well, and that will be held as usual here in the Niagara region, and that's going to be happening right in the, right in the middle of July uh, this summer, so you can sign up for that now as well. And uh, for today's discussion, uh, something we've been noticing quite a lot uh, around here at the Institute is uh, just that there's been many people, Christians included, uh, really demonstrating a willingness to kind of carefully say what they're for. Uh, I'm for the gospel. I'm for justice. I'm for the church. But uh, but rarely, if ever, stating what they're actually against. And... Uh, you know, there are many examples of of uh, of what we've been seeing here but um, one of them being biblical sexuality right I'm I'm for that uh, but an unwillingness to say I'm against homosexuality or I'm against transgenderism uh, I'm for freedom uh, but I'm against uh, van- va- vaccine mandates and and uh, regulations or I'm for Christ's headship over the church but um, unwilling to say, I'm against state interference of any kind, so we've we've noticed this really happening in every cultural issue we can imagine that that we're kind of examining here at the institute. So I guess I would start off our discussion asking you, Joe, why why are we seeing this? Why is this so commonplace?
0: Well, it might be interesting to uh, to <clears throat> begin with just commenting on the uh, all these truckers um, making their way across. Canada and up from the United States, and um, uh, reflecting on the fact that they are actually saying that they're against something.
2: Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Took the truck drivers to do it. Mm -hmm. Push us to it.
0: Yeah. That we uh, we we have, and I think you know, obviously, for those of us who are have been committed for a long time now to the freedom of the family, the freedom of the church, Mm -hmm. the principles of sphere sovereignty the proper delimitation of the, the role, the responsibilities, the authorities of the state, uh, and have have actively spoken about what Christ's lordship means in mm-hmm. the life of the church, mm-hmm. the life of the family, and actually what it means over the state as well, uh, are encouraged right. and excited about seeing, mm-hmm. finally, uh, a, a large group of people, um, who actually have a, a significant influence insofar as they deliver goods, necessary goods around the country, mm-hmm. taking a stand for civil liberties, for freedom. Um, we've talked, you know, a, a lot uh, over the last couple of years on the on the show about these pre-political mm. rights, pre-political um, institutions. Even right, that the, the 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 family is a pre-political institution. Mm-hmm. The church is a pre-political institution. It's not defined by the state. And that things like work, which is what the truckers are concerned about, um, is not something that's granted to us by the state. I'm not granted life and work by the state. I'm commanded to work by God. Yep. Six days you shall labor on the seventh you'll rest. These are the commands of God. And the state's effort to interfere in pre-political institutions... Uh, And to seek to control them and coerce them, Mm -hmm. and to try and deny people their uh, their their creational rights under God to work and earn a living. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, if a man doesn't work, uh, he shouldn't eat. Mm -hmm. If he's not willing to work, he shouldn't eat. Um, We see Paul urging people to to work with their hands so they've got something to share with others. Right. So um, these are these are critical fundamental. Uh, freedoms that in the Western tradition, because of the influence of Christianity, have been recognized. And now we've got a group of people who have uh, uh, influence because they actually, in whose work they deliver goods, are standing up for uh, basic freedoms that are fundamental to a society that that has been influenced by um, the Christian faith. And the notion that there is a choice being offered to people when they're told, you know, take this... uh, a uh, uh, state-mandated medical treatment or lose your livelihood. That's not a choice. That's a gun to your head. Mm-hmm. Right? That, 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 that's, not, that's not freedom from coercion. Some people have said, well, they, they don't have to. They're not obligated to. Well, you know, you, the choice between having a livelihood and feeding your family and paying the bills uh, uh, um, and, 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 and a, and a state-mandated medical treatment is hardly a choice. So this is an encouraging sign what is discour- what should give us a moment's pause, and Ryan, you to it, in, alluded to it, alluded to it in some respects, what should be somewhat discouraging mm-hmm. about this <clears throat> is that if this action of these truck drivers affects change, meaningful change in this country, it will be to the disgrace and humiliation of the church.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and just on that, Joe, I, I find it really interesting and, to be frank, very sad uh, that, you know, it's this convoy that's now leading to several conservative MPs finally speaking out against vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. These, you know, again, these are conservatives we have been hoping would say something for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And it's the truckers yeah, well, they've and, not and, and listened
0: to the Christian intellectuals. They've not listened to right. the, the to the church. As you know, we've talked for months and months about what the reformed tradition, what Abraham Kuyper had to say about the smallpox vaccination, passports, mm. and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, what Doiervere had, had to say about um, mm-hmm. the surrender of bodily integrity being fundamentally the surrender of, of human freedom mm-hmm. uh, at its root. And uh,
2: it's not just that these politicians sort of like that ministries like ours and others have sort of been putting this information out there and these politicians haven't found it we That's we right. and, uh, and mm, several correct. others have you know met had conversations right. with them yeah put it right yep. in front of their face yeah, yeah. yeah we've been we've sat with uh,
0: federal mps with uh, provincial mpps mm-hmm. uh we've we've spoken to advisors mm-hmm. who, who are within these governments we know that our um our various high-profile letters that we've been involved in crafting and things like the Niagara decoration, these have been in front of uh, the right people. Mm-hmm. But there's been a refusal to listen. And um, that-
2: Statecraft game is poor.
0: Right. And and that goes back to, Nathan, your, your opening salvo, uh, which is why have they uh, really refused to listen? Right. And a big part of that has been because- the church has refused to stand united right it's been isolated churches isolated pastors mm-hmm. for the most part who have stood up and spoken out and instead of there being a united response um you know it's mm. only been a few hundred churches who've been willing to stand yeah. together if that right uh and instead of a united response about the authority of christ about his lordship about mm. uh the The principles, the biblical principles of sphere sovereignty, the delimitation on the church, the family, the state, and so on and so forth. Instead of that, instead of a clear witness Mm -hmm. to our freedom in Christ, there's been silence Mm -hmm. and there's been compliance. And that has meant that it's blunted our witness. In fact, we've had whole groups or denominations trying to or going, uh, giving a contrary opinion Mm -hmm. or going public into the national media with a, with right. undermining conscience rights yeah. and these things have uh, have happened and <laughs> and that has undermined the uh the efforts of the mm-hmm. church now i think you could certainly argue that um, some of these efforts over the past 18 months have put enough sufficient concern that enough christians are not going to comply that they didn't double down on the restrictions on this last round mm-hmm uh the uh, that that 30% that was initially uh, you know uh, accomplished mm-hmm. and then the sort of 50% there's no question that t- that's been due to the fact that there's been a sufficient amount of pause mm-hmm. to at least not try and reinstate those same uh, restrictions again in the way that they've done in Quebec mm-hmm. and also yeah. i think similar measures in uh, is it new brunswick nova um, scotia uh, nova scotia yeah.
1: New Brunswick as well, I believe. Oh, Uh, so so I
0: think there's been a, you know, it's been different Mm -hmm. province to province, Mm -hmm. but certainly the 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 degree of Ontario pushback within the church gave some pause. But look at the look at the I was going to say the fear of God. It may well be that look at the fear of God. This is putting into politicians. Finally, you've got even the head of the Conservative Party uh, Mm. (laughs) having to uh, say that he supports, as I understand it. the trucker's efforts to, to, in to roll back way. <laughs> in, a, in a very wishy-washy way yeah. vaccine mandates. Mm. And so it, it speaks to sadly, uh, the, where we've come to in terms of now, both the, the influence and the unity of the church and our willingness to actually, to, to speak mm-hmm. faithfully and not simply carefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've replaced faithfulness with carefulness mm. and, uh, As you say, that has a longer history we can discuss, but um, that seems to be, the you know, it's a very prescient issue as we look at these truckers right now heading towards Ottawa, Mm -hmm. and um, they may well, we don't know yet, but they may well affect significant change, Um,
1: but frankly, no thanks to most of the churches. Right, and again, just in addition to that, how many people do we know uh, personally that have lost their job Because their religious exemption has been thrown out the window, because it has been stated by their employer that it's only your pastor that believes mandates are wrong. I can point to a hundred others that are in support of it. Or this article, Mm -hmm. or that statement, or whatever. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Joe, a couple of questions arising from what what you've just said. Uh, First of all, maybe we maybe you can explain a bit about what you mean by uh, this. A dichotomy between faithfulness and carefulness mm-hmm. and uh, after that just to can you comment on why why does it seem why do you believe that we are so hesitant today in, in evangelicalism to to stand up and say that we're opposed to this or that
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well f- faithfulness is about uh, a willingness to Go wherever the word of God takes you and and stand with God's word, stand with God and stand with his word, uh, whatever the culture may be saying. Mm. And um, that's not that we throw caution to the wind in the sense that we're not wise as serpents, innocent as doves. We're not, uh, we don't set out to look for trouble. But when we're um, confronted with something that is in fundamental opposition to the gospel of the kingdom and the lordship of Jesus Christ, we're ready to make a clear stand. That's faithfulness. Carefulness is when we are, when we are second guessing ourselves, uh, when we are constantly trying to craft our statements so judiciously, so carefully that we are desperately trying to avoid causing uh, any kind of offense. Mm-hmm. Now, it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who once uh, said when he was talking about evangelicalism, I believe, uh, that it's it's as important what a man doesn't say mm. as what he does say. If you really want to understand a man, if you want to understand uh, a, a leader, if you want to understand uh, any, any leader, really, but I suppose especially Christian leaders, it's critical to listen closely to what they don't say. Hmm. And I think this is what Nathan was getting at uh, the beginning. There, you know, we can we can talk about the gospel. We can talk about um, even biblical uh, a biblical view of human sexuality mm. and say that we are we are for marriage. Um, of course, uh, the conservatives in England said that they were for marriage, and yep. and on that basis, they um, altered the law and instituted same sex marriage, so called. Um, <laughs> because they said they were for marriage and they thought we should have more of it. More of right? it, yeah. So, <laughs> so you can see how you can actually be for something and actually by being for it, but without saying what you're against, there's a distortion happening or there's a deliberate ambiguity right. being so introduced very vague so train. that it's vague yep. enough mm-hmm. that you can sort of uh, drive a freight train through it. Mm-hmm. And, and as such, the vagueness of it means you're not likely to be causing offense. And I think that's a fairly sharp um, contrast uh, to um, the way we see God speaking in Scripture, the way we see the, the, the biblical message um, unfolding. Actually, when, when the Lord addresses the churches in the book of Revelation, he says, I have this against you. Right now he points out the things that uh, are pleasing to him, but then he says, "But I have this against you." Um, God is never uh, afraid to say, "This is what he is against." And you know when you look at the way the the Decalogue is framed, hmm. the most fundamental instructions that God gives there in the in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, "You shall not." And that's how they're framed, and this is a very important point: mm-hmm. is that there is a, the, the the commandments are framed negatively um, for a very specific reason, or the majority of them are, um, uh, in that there the, you are. There's a prescription. There's a, around what you cannot do. Right. So this you are not. This is what God is against, and you can assume actually that everything else is is an area as a realm of freedom. What our culture does is kind of reverses that and says, we need to be loving, mm-hmm. right? Uh, be loving. Um, but that is so vague and so abstract uh, because it doesn't say what it's actually against. Um, mm-hmm. Almost makes it an, a, 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 an impossible command. Um, this is why when Paul speaks about uh, what love to God looks like, he cites the law in Romans 13, for example, because that's what it means to love your neighbor and, 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 and love your enemy. Um, so they're framed negatively so that they're actually, um, the, obedience is within the realistic realm of human responsibility. Uh, but if you've got a command to uh, simply uh, be loving, um, that can mean almost anything uh and uh this is what happens of course with a lot of these terms now words like justice and love they're actually mm. lifted out of the biblical context they're right. abstracted from their context redefined humanistically and then dropped back down and then we're exposed to we're supposed to accept the idea that these these words in scripture now mean what the culture means right. by them mm-hmm. and that of course is when we run into all kinds of difficulty now uh the The way in which the pressure comes on the Christian church in this regard um, is, I guess, what we could call um, the temptation to synthesis, right? It's Mm. that there's a temptation to synthesize the Christian faith with the dominant uh, motives of our own cultural moment. So, this is, and this has been, of course, the pressure on the church in every age. It's not just our age, but it's been the pressure on the church in every age that you um, must uh, bend or try and integrate somehow, uh, either bend to or integrate somehow the religious motives of an unbelieving cultural environment, and try and blend them with Christianity, so the Christian faith is 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 felt to be more acceptable. It's more plausible uh, it's more palatable let's say to the culture around us so let's take a couple of examples so we go back to the medieval church for example because mm-hmm. obviously the challenges are different in every age mm-hmm. and you've got the, uh, the the in the sort of late high middle ages um, you've got this period where uh, greek learning is being recovered and um aristotle uh, is Popular again, and in fact, Thomas Aquinas is told to go and interpret Aristotle for the Church. He's mm-hmm. told that by the Pope. And uh, there's an attempt in in, um, in late medieval uh, culture uh, on the sort of that transition there into the that just prior to the Renaissance to synthesize the categories of Christianity with the categories of Greek thought. Uh there was some concern that the, the Mohammedans, that Islam was, was, you know, capitalizing on on Greek philosophy uh, and that the church needed to get in on this. Um, and the, the problem with this this synthesis mm. is that uh, the Christian worldview fundamentally lays out a, a structure of creation from nothing. So you've got creation, God's creation law word and it's a creation from nothing. Of course, the Greek said, from nothing comes nothing. Mm-hmm. So Greek thought had an eternal idea of recurrence. Um, matter and uh, idea or, or spirit and matter um, were in a sort of dialectical tension with one another. The ideal and the material form matter uh, structure and um, both are eternal. So... At the, at immediately, you've got the problem. How do you synthesize religious ideas where one says there is a creation out of nothing, and there's a there's a there's an absolute creator creature distinction, right. and the yeah. other denies it? Mm-hmm. Then, in the Christ, next part of the, the Christian worldview, is the fall into ruin, the 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 rebellion against God, that the, the way in which human beings fell, but also creation was subject to futility, um, and and the fall biblically affected profoundly every single aspect of human existence Mm -hmm. but in greek thought the only kind of fall that would be acceptable is a fall from the ideal from the spiritual souls into bodies Mm. not a radical fall of man in his own being away from god's law word uh but a fall into matter right a fall into material the material realm a lesser realm Mm uh and you know, certainly, the Greeks would sort have of rejected the notion that human reason was insufficient uh, to accomplish um, man's ideal state. So, uh, and then, of course, in the Christian worldview, redemption is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Second Adam, and He's reconciling all of creation in every aspect to Himself through the power and ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. Redemption for the Greeks, uh, if there was such a a conception existed only in the idea of the utopian state in the polis, Mm. in, in politics, salvation was by politics and, um, uh, the, its vision of, of paradise, of course, the the biblical view, paradise lost to paradise regained. You have in Romans eight, creation is released from its subjection to futility, uh, and the destiny of creation is tied by Paul to the resurrection of our bodies, our the fullness of our inheritance, our payoff, as it were. Whereas for uh, pagan culture, uh, there might be ideas of a disembodied um, uh, contemplation on a divine principle of reason. And, and this is uh, becomes a kind of sort of beatific vision in the Christianized version. And so... The synthesis of these two is very, very difficult. Right, and so what you get is an ambiguity about creation from nothing. Is it's it's ambiguous uh, as to whether we do have that absolute distinction. Is there some kind of participation in divinity? There is a uh, basically a denial of the radical fallenness of human reason. So reason is good as far as it goes. Right. There's a there's a there's a denial uh, in the synthesis that human reason is fundamentally uh, broken human reasoning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then of course with respect to redemption um, the there is a there's a sort of an attempted compromise with statism with totalitarianism where uh, the state is seen as the highest uh, natural institution that brings people to a kind of moral per- perfection, but the portal to salvation, uh to the to to final redemption is only through the church and uh as the sort of highest institution and so you have this sort of compromise of instead of a recognition of of the distinction between church and state under the lordship of jesus christ you have this conflation uh, of church and state you have you know popes wanting to to uh appoint kings and rulers and 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 so on and so forth Mm. And so you get that whole tension that runs through uh, that period uh, of the struggle between uh, church and state for control. So you mm. get compromise there, mm-hmm. and then when it comes to um, consummation uh, and realization of the kingdom, um, not only do you have this uh, bizarre arrangement with 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 church and state, but you then get these sort of Ideas of beatific vision, heaven is some sort of totally otherworldly mystical conception. You have doctrines of purgatory Mm. uh, and uh, you needed the reformation (laughs) to 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 reaffirm fundamentally a scriptural world and life. So that was the medieval church. So Mm -hmm. it took a little bit longer to explain that one. But that Mm. was the pressure that Christians were under there to try and. You know, compromise with with the with the with the pagan motives that were um, reviving at that time culturally.
1: Right, and this <clears> irreconcilable <throat> synthesis would possibly take a lot of our listeners back to our discussion of Doyward's religious ground motives. Mm-hmm.
0: That's right. Yeah, uh, the well, he which talked. Which we should to,
1: get
2: back to at some point.
0: Yes, which we are going to get back <laughs> to, um, <laughs> but we've just kind of been interrupted by all of these exciting things that we feel like we have to touch on. Um, I don't a, regret it. And apply the reformational <laughs> view too, right? Yeah. Uh, but yes, that's right. Uh, Doiver talked about the form-matter motive of the Greeks and then the synthesis motive of nature-grace in the right. medieval arrangements mm-hmm. um, and uh, the, uh, the the biblical creation-fall-redemption paradigm and then mm-hmm. the modern contemporary uh, uh, synthesis of nature and freedom. Mm-hmm. Um so in the, then in the, what we might call the sort of the, 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 modernist, the enlightenment period, let's to take, for example, with respect to the church, it's sort of zenith in the 19th century, and then its influence in the early 20th century. How, the, 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 the synthesis there now is you've got enlightened, the enlightenment has hap, so-called has happened. Mm. And you've had romanticism and various other um, movements, you know, moving from the, Swinging between the rational and the irrationalist movements, but you've got this tremendous pressure, especially coming through German philosophy, to radically secularize Christianity. And how's that going to be done? Well, the 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 project of modernization or secularization, in a sense, of the faith begins to happen, um, and because of the, especially the influence of rationalism. Uh, we're told the modernist said, "Well, look, you know, we, in order to relate Christianity uh, to our age, people can't buy into the miracles and the uh, resurrection and all these myths, right? right? right. Uh, We've been enlightened anymore, right. yeah, not yes. exactly. Yeah. We, you know, we, this is the age of science, mm-hmm. and and uh, and we're a scientific age, and people can't possibly believe that. So, if Christianity is going to survive and go on, we need to hunt for the historical Jesus." Uh, we need to demythologize uh, the scriptures. Um, we need to um, modernize and update and relativize our understanding of um, of morality and ethics. Scripture isn't something we um, need to stand under. Uh, rather, it's a piece of literature, and we have to judge it as uh, as we would analyze or judge any other piece of literature. Jesus' death isn't about atonement and redemption. Uh, it's about human solidarity. So again, when it comes to, uh, you know, he's a martyr. So when it comes to the creation, fall, redemption, what happens with this 19th century modernity? Creation, while well, creation, a creation lawward is pushed right into the background and evolutionism takes its place. So you've got a, 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 a replacement of origins. The fall now is not a fall into ruin and, uh, and sin, the fall is simply um, a moment of self-realization in the Bible, right? The fall is a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a moment when, when human beings begin to realize themselves. So the fall was a blessing in that sense. And these awful limitations of the garden. The fall was about self-realization. And um, uh, redemption um, is not through Christ's atonement. Christ's death is actually about solidarity with um humans who are oppressed, who are who are oppressed and suffering. And so the transcendent God of Scripture in his work is basically, the, you know, Scripture is denuded of it, and so-called science is now going to dictate how we um, interpret the Bible. Justice is not grounded in God's law. We need neo-Marxist categories now to help describe the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, the kingdom is actually a political project of man. It's not the work of Christ in history. So you had the social gospel movement and you had the hollowing out of the mainline churches, liberalism decimated. Um, Well, we know here, of course, the big, in Canada, the best example is the United Church of Canada, which was I think around 1925, the amalgamation of the Presbyterians and the Methodists became the largest Protestant denomination in Canada. And it's a real estate board today. Mm -hmm. Um, Look at what's happening to the Church of England uh in in the uk methodism has been all but uh, destroyed there as well Mm -hmm. so you have the hollowing out by modernism of because of this synthesis so you needed the reformation uh to deal with the humanism of the of the renaissance coming out of scholasticism right uh and then you needed the uh uh the evangelical awakening initially in the 18th century to push back against the forces of the enlightenment, but it didn't do so in the same root and branch way that the reformation had done. And then of course you actually needed, dare I say, um, renewal movements in the 20th century within evangelicalism. And I would add, and and include in that actually the charismatic movement. Uh, there's a hornet's nest that we could discuss another time. Um, Uh, But I think it's important when you look at, um, especially as you look at missions and and global missions among Pentecostals, for example. Um, But we needed renewal movements in the church going into the mainline denominations to revive a sense of the transcendent of the work of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. of the power of the gospel. Um, But what we haven't really had alongside that is what I would say another reformation within the life of the church to fundamentally address the um, the cancer of uh, Greek thought that invaded the church a long time ago and has never really been um, rooted out. And in Greek thought, not in the sense that the, the, the Greeks didn't make any kind of contribution to the Western tradition, but the notion that somehow we can synthesize those sorts of categories um, with... Uh, the, 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 Christian faith. And in some respects, you know, the kind of radical spiritualizing. So what we, in, in the contemporary context we'll talk about just now is, is in some respects, a revival of Gnosticism. Um, and so these, these different, uh, forces in the modern age required the Lord by his grace brought about has brought about movements within the life of the church to push back against the weakening, um of the gospel by these attempts at synthesis and of course I would argue that we're in the grip of the need again now for reformational thinking um, to in the life of the church and that simply retrenchment in an evangelical soteriology of justification by faith and substitutionary atonement is a good uh, is a good piece in that puzzle, an important one mm-hmm. but it's only one of many. Mm-hmm. And the truncation of the gospel of the kingdom to that and thinking that that is going to be the thing that uh, uh, preserves the church, I think is mistaken. Mm-hmm. What we've got in the contemporary cultural moment now, the the synth- synthesis, even amongst evangelicals, is where the temptation, what's the temptation for our age? It's not the same as the, you know, the nature graced um uh, radical dualities that were that were present in the medieval period it's not the evangelical problem right now is not the same as the demythologizing although there are mm. it's interesting to see how those <laughs> those uh, tendencies are recurring but that's not the fundamental issue culturally um the challenge right now the zeitgeist the spirit of the age is that we would offer the Christian faith as one spiritual option on the smorgasbord right. of yeah. uh on the menu mm-hmm. of a religion within culture today the doctrine of creation law and its meaning is faded from view in the evangelical church because now man creates and defines himself mm-hmm. so human beings see themselves as teetering on the edge of the abyss this is an existential moment you have to define yourself and self-definition now is the fundamental thing we're up against uh, the whole idea of human identity human sexuality social construction There's no fall. So that's the problem with creation with respect to the fall. What's the fall in terms of our contemporary culture? Well, it's um, the only fall is the fall from your authentic self, Hmm. right? You must, of all things above all else, you must be yourself. What is that? We don't know. You must define it for yourself. And if you should fall from that, if you should succumb to authority of any kind, that's oppression. Hmm. If you should accept normative structures of any kind, you're a victim of patriarchal oppression. Right. Uh,
1: and Sorry, just on that term oppression, Joe, because I wanted to circle back to this, but you mentioned how we'll often abstract terms like love and justice just in order to maintain some uh, you know, little bit of am- ambiguity. But we also see people do that with words like oppression and mm-hmm. racism. And then yep. when, when that's the case, they're able to say, I'm against that. I'm against oppression. Right, that's a good good observation. Mm, I'm against mm-hmm. racism.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you're fine if you're on the, uh, to, you're fine to say what you're against if it's what the culture is against. Right. So, um, you know, this is a very interesting fact, isn't it? That if you, you can speak up on cultural issues as an evangelical if you speak up on behalf of the woke trajectory. Mm-hmm.
2: And if Ali Beth Stuckey was talking about this last week in our mm, uh, right. in your yeah, interview really, with her, yeah. that uh, you're not uh, we're not being told to stay in our lane if our lane happens to be yeah congruent with the, the, the mainstream social lane. justice yeah, movement, that's right. for instance, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, and that's why in in Mission of God, mm. for example, I spend so much time uh, trying to deconstruct the social justice movement from a scriptural standpoint. Mm. Um, so you know the, the 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 fall is away from your uh, authentic self mm-hmm. Red, um, redemption is now in terms of this egalitarian order so redemption is not uh, something that christ is doing as the last adam to reconcile all things to the father through his cross by his resurrection ascension and session taking the seat of all authority at the right hand of god no Um, redemption is again is now through social justice it's doing the creation Mm -hmm. of egalitarian order it's again actually political this is this utopianism is actually uh, very much revived Um, and that's the pressure on the church is that you must buy into this um, religion you must syncretize this religion with christianity the terms that this religion uses oppression Mm -hmm. justice uh, and then so it becomes on
1: becomes palatable to the culture, right? Yeah. And then
0: if you're if you're <laughs> yeah if you're speaking up on those terms, right. it it is completely palatable. Righteousness mm-hmm. uh, means now that uh, you're um, you're not homophobic. Right. Uh, sin is whiteness, possessing wealth, um, and any form of judgment mm-hmm. of anybody's uh, behavior. And of course, you know, ultimately consummation, redemption is salvation of the planet, and mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. So you. So actually, it's interesting to take the Christian world and life view, look at these different eras in the life of the church, and see the pressure to syncretize. Mm -hmm. And actually, this is one of God's great concerns in Scripture. And there's a very telling uh, passage, if you bear with me just for a second, um, in Deuteronomy chapter 16, where we've got the appointing of the judges and the officials um, and instructions being given to judges not to show partiality and so on. And uh, in verses 21 through 22, there's a, there's a, there's a point about uh, forbidden worship, which is echoed by the Apostle Paul. And I thought just tying these two together is, is quite helpful. Uh, so this is Deuteronomy 16, verses 21 through 22. And let's remind all of our listeners that Jesus defeated the temptations of Satan, quoting Deuteronomy. So this can't be swept aside as Old Testament. You know, mm-hmm. when we go to God's law, mm-hmm. we can't say, oh, that's Old Testament. Well, Jesus used God's law, word here, to refute the temptations of Satan. And, um, I feel like
1: we've gone over this before. We have been <laughs> over this territory before.
0: <laughs> so God says, do not set up an Asherah of any kind of wood next to the altar. Next to the altar you'll build for the Lord your God. and Do not set up a sacred pillar. The Lord your God hates them. Hmm. Um, So this is interesting because the problem here was not that, uh, well, over there, over in the pagan end of the territory, there's some temples don't go there. The issue for Israel, actually, as you see throughout the Older Covenant, is their syncretism. And here you've got this very telling expression to not set up an Asher of any kind next to the altar. Mm. Uh, uh, don't set up a sacred pillar. And of course, these represented the various fertility cults, the various state gods. And, uh, you know, Baalism, you know, was a, was a fertility cult, but it was also a f- form of state worship. And um, this is what is particularly offensive to God, actually. It's the attempt to bring together, to synthesize, to fail to say what we are against, mm-hmm. right? Clearly, mm-hmm. And somehow allow this synthesis in the door so that the sacred pillar, the Asherah, is set up right next to the altar of God. Hmm. And I think Paul echoes this concern in um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, where he's talking about separation to God. And he says, um, Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. Of course, here, mismatch means there's an attempt to bring together, right? There's an attempt to to bring together in some kind of unholy union the things that are of the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. So he says, don't be mismatched with unbelievers, for what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What law is that? I'm <laughs> um, just, just putting the question out there. Which which law is that? When Paul says between righteousness and lawlessness, what's he talking about? What's the benchmark in scripture? What is lawlessness? Well, it's disobedience to God's law. What fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary, this is it. What agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. And I think Paul very much is echoing Deuteronomy 16 there. What possible agreement does the sanctuary of God have with idols? You can't set up the Asher, the sacred pillar, next to the altar of God. You can't syncretize with the culture. We would say in our tradition of you know, presuppositional apologetics and, and a reformational philosophy, we would say this is about pushing the antithesis that mm-hmm. Paul is doing. This is what God is doing. Kingdom of darkness, kingdom of light. There's an antithesis here. There's no middle ground of nature, uh, middle ground of natural law that all the pagans and us can all agree on. There is God's law word for creation, republished in scripture, uh, and there is rebellion and apostasy. Um, and uh, the attempt to sort of say, we're going to uh, see what our culture is doing and look at its definition of righteousness, look at its definition mm-hmm. of justice, look at see how it looks at oppression. What does it say about what salvation is and what the state should be doing and what sovereignty really means? And let's try and wed that to our Christian faith so that it looks as though we're in the flow we're part of the conversation We're we've got a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I would put it this way is that to say what we're for is to say, we want a seat at the table and we want it to, right. we want it, we want to, we want to uh, be seen as co belligerents with what our culture is doing, but to be willing to say what we're against, that's to say Christ owns the table. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. He owns the table mm-hmm and he says not only what is he for uh, but what he is against and um, i guess where the where the rubber hits the road with this right now quite literally with our truckers mm-hmm. <laughs> if we if we circle back around <laughs> that, to that that was apt <laughs> <laughs> accidental actually but uh, apropos um, is uh, the you know brings us back to the whole question that's really confronted the church in the last couple of years about um, the the church and the state um, about the, um, the law word of God and what God requires of his people, what he requires of the family, what he requires of church leadership, what is it he requires of government officials and of judges and so on and so forth, and the meaning of Christ's lordship over all of that, um, we've had people saying how they're for respecting authority or respecting... Um, and honoring governing authorities, but not saying where God limits Mm -hmm. and, and stands against an overreaching governing authority. Mm -hmm. We've said we're for people loving their neighbor um, and, uh, and, and, and caring for and being, you know, concerned with our neighbor. Um, And so we've said we're for safety and protection, but we've not said what we're against Mm -hmm. the misuse of, uh, welfare, the ideas of welfare and safety, and so on, mm-hmm. and the way those things can be pushed beyond anything that the, the scriptures might mean for them, um, and in particular, you know that in in um, in Exodus, uh, I think it's Exodus eight, you have a very very interesting exchange going on between Moses and Pharaoh, and this is all over the issue of service to God and worship to God. Moses has been sent back to Egypt <laughs> by the Lord with this fundamental message let my children go that they may serve me that they may worship me Uh, serve is is the is the better rendering because it includes our more contemporary perception of worship but service to the lord to his kingdom to his purposes let my children go that they might serve me to truly um be able to serve god requires both a people and a place it's not just that moses could have gone to egypt and agreed with what pharaoh told him and what was that pharaoh said okay and this is my uh, my message translation <laughs> uh um pharaoh said okay uh yeah you can worship god but right here on my territory here the way i tell you mm-hmm. so you can worship here not in the wilderness you're not going. You're going you're gonna to be under my jurisdiction. And uh, Moses could have said, oh, that sounds like a reasonable synthesis. God said, let my children go uh, so they may serve me. You've said, well, you can worship, but you do it right here. You're not going anywhere. That sounds like a reasonable compromise. So let's just go and do some sacrifices over there in Goshen. Moses totally rejected that. God totally rejects that. God will not be dictated to by the state, will not be dictated, dictated to by Pharaoh how the church is to worship, mm-hmm. the
1: sacrifices they're going yeah. to offer. I'm just thinking about the pinch of incense uh, offered to mm-hmm. the emperor as well. You could be for Jesus Christ if you're also for the emperor, but the second you're against... Roman rule, then then you're in big trouble. Very no, good point.
2: No, it's much more comfortable to be for something because right. being for something doesn't make you, doesn't obligate you to cut yourself off from right. something else. Right, right.
0: That's true. And and uh, notice here actually in, in Exodus 8 that um, Pharaoh finally agreed to say, okay, Moses, yeah, God's jurisdiction, go and serve him, go worship him. But he hardened his heart. Mm-hmm. And if we've seen anything over these last two years we've seen the hard hearts right. of our government officials refusing to let God's people go and serve him. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. That's exactly the way it played out in the first century for mm-hmm. the church mm-hmm. is, yeah, you can be for Jesus. Right. No problem. Yeah, You can be for any mm-hmm. God you want. You can mm-hmm. be for any cult you want. All that's required is you recognize the absolute authority of Caesar, right. the authority of Caesar over your institution and you can go and worship Jesus, no problem at all. We'll give you a license. Now, I would suggest that mm. if we're if we're doctors and we've said we are going to submit to every edict of government around abortion or euthanasia or or um, the coercive vaccination, we're now state doctors. Mm. If we're lawyers and we've said we're going to submit and accept every edict of the state in regard to. Uh, our fundamental freedoms under God, the independence and freedom of the family, independence and freedom of the church, even our own constitutional freedoms, you're now a state lawyer. Mm -hmm. And if we're a church that says, we're going to accept Pharaoh's decree over the church, accept his lordship over our worship, how we're going to worship, whether we're going to wear masks, whether we can take communion, whether we can sing, whether we can baptize, whether we can gather, whether we can greet one another whether we can um, speak clearly to the issues of sexuality and identity. If we bow to that, we're now a state church. Right. Um, and we're pharaohs. And what we've said is, okay, that's a reasonable compromise. We'll, we'll, we'll worship here. Yeah. But we're not going to go and receive. We're not going, we're going to go in terms of the obedience the total obedience to the Lord, to to Yahweh, the I am that I am, who sent Moses to say, let my people go. Mm -hmm. And that was a confrontation, of course, right there at the Exodus between the living God and the would-be God uh, of the state in Pharaoh. And God struck at the heart, the economy, at the health, at the life of Egypt, Mm -hmm. until he let, God's people go. Hmm. And I think we've seen God strike at the health, the economy and the life mm-hmm. of the nation and he will continue to do so if there if the state continues to try and bind and imprison the church with its laws, mm-hmm. things like C4 and the proposed C36 with its with its euthanasia and denial of conscience rights, with its abortionism and infanticide. Uh, and with its coerc- coercive medical mandates, and of course, with its attempt to govern and control the church as though it's a non-essential service, less than a non-essential service, less than, as though it's a little more than a restaurant or a cinema. Mm-hmm. And to our shame, we have allowed ourselves to say that that is what the Church of the Living God is. not God's embassy. We're not his ambassadors. We're a part-time, we're a, this is a consumer society. Remember what I said about the synthesis of our age? that uh, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're on the smorgasbord of optional faiths. Um, the fall is only from our authentic self. It's not about total surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It's about this um, uh, righteousness is about accepting people's lifestyle choices and everything else. This is the pressure now on the church to succumb to, to surrender the Lordship of Christ and say, no, we will synthesize with a culture that relativizes the claims of Jesus. And in, and I think in the last two years, we've seen a sifting and a, and a challenge put to the church, to all of us. Uh, will we relativize the lordship of Christ and the gospel of the kingdom? And uh, will we say in the end, yes, Pharaoh, we'll do it your way. Caesar is Lord. Um, and that's the difference between the leader who says what they're against not just what they're for and it's why Lloyd-Jones I think was concerned with listen to what a man doesn't say not just to what he does say because what he doesn't say about a situation will tell you as much if not more about him than what he does say uh, about it.
1: So listeners, uh, be encouraged. In in this cultural moment, let's be clear uh, as to what we're for and also what we're against. And Joe, Ryan, thank you so much for the the conversation today. Joe, you've been blogging about this topic, and I I believe that blog will be released uh, very shortly. And you'll be able to find that uh, on our website, on our social media channels. And uh, that's all the time we have for this week. This has been the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute. Reminding you as always that from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory.